Lord God. In this space, Lord God, we are reminded this day in the, in the waters of baptism, as they washed over Riley, and we are reminded of your love washing over us. We are aware in this moment, in this space, we are aware, Lord, that just as sure as the next breath we take is a gift from you, so sure are we to go astray. So sure are we to wander and to wonder if, in fact, you are here with us. So, Lord, we are so grateful this morning that it's not our ability to love you that we are gathered together to worship this day, but it is your love for us. It is the reminder that though we know nothing of it as of yet, we love only because you first loved us that you took on flesh and dwelt among us, that you moved into our neighborhood and became our neighbor, our friend, that when you walked this earth, Lord Jesus, we wouldn't have been able to pick you out of a crowd, and you chose to do so, so that we would have the fullest of assurance provided by your Holy Spirit that you know, that you know our pain, that you know our struggles, that you know our doubts, that you know our fears, that you know all the ways in which we, we struggle to even find enough faith to proclaim your goodness and your grace. So, Lord, we thank you that the promises of baptism are made known to us today. We thank you that you have invited us into this place where a meal is prepared for us, that we might partake in your goodness and your grace. And we thank you for your word that is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So this morning, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts will be pleasing in your sight for you, and you alone are our rock and our redeemer, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, my name is Gary Hansen. I'm the pastor of care and teaching here at MDRC at the Bridge, and I am hungry this morning. Now, I'm sure I'm not the only one who experiences hunger pains from time to time, and I'm sure I'm not the only one who gets hangry from time to time. But if anything else reminds us of our need, it's our hunger. It's the reality that our bodies need fuel. It's the reminder constantly throughout a day that without food provided for us, we literally wither away. So this morning when I was invited to preach the sermon on this full Sunday where the waters of baptism and the profession of faith and the receiving of new members and this table would all be a part of our experience together, I got excited. I got excited because at the very root of who I am, there is this belief, this belief within me that our lives are sacramental that we live actually in a sacramental world. And to understand what that sacramental world looks like, we're invited to turn our attention to the passage that Pastor Suzanne opened worship for us with this morning. It's found in Psalm 34, and we're going to hear it in its entirety. Psalm 34, hear the word of the Lord. I will extol the Lord at all times, His praises will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. 
Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. The poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked, and the foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The psalmist paints for us a picture of a sacramental world in its fullness. And now that's not language that we typically use. We don't typically think in our culture of the world being sacramental, a world where water is more than just water, a world where bread becomes body and juice becomes blood. This is a foreign concept to our culture. We are a rational people. Since the Industrial Revolution, our society, our culture, the way in which we govern our lives is often predetermined by the way in which we get things done. We see ourselves and our bodies in part as machines, a cog in the larger system trying to produce more goods, trying to get the most out of each minute to be as effective and as efficient as we possibly can. We can't help it. To think that way, it's the culture in which we live our lives. The idea of a sacramental world, a spirit-filled world, a world full of wonder and mystery that can't be weighed and measured and understood in the ways that we like to weigh and measure and understand things. We're invited by the one who brought forth order out of chaos, the one who is in the midst of those of us who live our lives in an ordered and structured way. He is in the midst of our efficiency, but there's more to it than often we dare to realize. We live in a sacramental world where the deepest realities lay hidden under the most mundane of things. We live in a sacramental world which keeps us connected to our basic needs. Healthy food to eat, clean water to drink, deep 
fellowship to share. And yet, most of the time, we live most of our lives oblivious to it all. The mystery, the depth of what it means to be alive is often something that we walk right by. More often than not, we find comfort in our conformity and peace in our passivity. More often than not, we drink the water, we eat the food without giving it a second thought. We don't consider the power and profundity of a day like today. Often our lives are lost to the deeper mystery of what it means to live in a sacramental world. And I, for one, am grateful. Now that might sound curious, but I, for one, am grateful. I'm grateful that the mystery is often lost in the mundane. I'm grateful in the way that the prophet Isaiah was aware aware that into these thin places that the psalmist invites us into this morning, like the prophet Isaiah, we come to the table, we come to the font, we come to the waters of baptism, and we have no choice as mere mortals to respond in any way other than to fall on our faces as if dead, with an awareness that that we are a broken people. We are a broken people of unclean hearts and unclean minds, and we dwell in the presence of a holy God. Woe to me, the prophet cries out, and somewhere within our souls, when we are aware of the veil being pulled back, when we are aware of the profundity of it all, when we catch a glimpse of this mystery that we are welcomed into this morning, it's too much for us to comprehend. It's too much for us to understand, which is why I am grateful. I I came to Psalm 34 this morning thinking that it would only be verse 8 that we would spend our time together looking at. It's a verse that is often used when communion is served. The psalmist says it so beautifully, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. On its own, it's a beautifully sacramental sentiment, right? Taste and see, participate in the mystery and the wonder of this sacramental life. Feel again the waters of baptism that were washed over you, cleansing and renewing and sanctifying your life. Come to the table with eager expectation that you will become more and more who God has created you to be. But verse 8 of the psalm doesn't stand on its own. Rather, the psalmist paints the fullness of what it means to live in a sacramental world, and one word keeps rising to the surface. It happens four times throughout the psalm. Fear. Fear the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord. Those who fear the Lord will lack nothing. Come, my children, the psalmist says, listen to me and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Well, I, for one, don't know what to do with fear. Fear doesn't match up in my post-industrial revolution world. I don't have a rational understanding of fear that seems to satisfy. So maybe I've misunderstood what the psalmist is talking about when he talks about fearing the Lord. And maybe that has something to do with my upbringing. I was born and raised in the church, baptized as an infant, and I can remember crystal clearly when I was around 
eight or nine years old, sitting and, and watching as the elders passed the elements in front of me. And the adults partook, and I asked my mom if I could have some of that bread, and she told me to quit asking questions and to sit up straight. So I did. And it was with the best of intentions. It was the best of intentions of my mother and that church I grew up in that I was to understand the significance of what was happening. As I grew older, I, I wondered why we came to the table so infrequently. We would only celebrate communion four times a year, and I was told that was so that we didn't get too used to it, so that we didn't take for granted what was happening, the significance of the meal. But I've grown to understand what fearing the Lord is all about in a way that looks different then maybe I understood it as a boy. Because I think my understanding of God and what it means to fear the Lord often has this idea that I need to be looking over my shoulder, that if I color outside the lines or go too far to the right or too far to the left, or if I, or if I think sort of thoughts that, that I shouldn't be thinking that God is going to get me, that God is, is going to make sure that I pay a penalty for, for those ways in which I am experiencing what it means to be alive. And that fear is one that I think is familiar with many of us. I think the fear that the psalmist is inviting us, is inviting us into, though, is a different sort of fear. I think what the psalmist is inviting us into, and I think what the profundity of this meal and the sacramental world in which we inhabit is all about, the, the fear is more accurately articulated when we acknowledge our insignificance. When we acknowledge along with the psalmist, along with the prophet of old, that we are a mere speck that there is nothing that we can do to earn the invitation that has been extended to us the ways in which we acknowledge the realities that this is a hard world that we inhabit, where those who we love we, we are forced to say goodbye to, where our bodies will break down and we will face our own frailty, the ways in which relationships are broken, the ways in which we struggle, struggle to find our next meal, struggle to find what will satisfy the fear that the psalmist invites us into that is a part of what it means to live in a sacramental world is something that we can't avoid any more than we can avoid growing older, any more than we can avoid the reality of losing the ones we love. I was reminded. I was reminded of what a sacramental world looks like and what this meal is all about when I was fresh out of seminary, the first church I served was right on the Iowa-Minnesota border, and I was invited to go to the Parkview Manor in Ellsworth, Minnesota, and visit a man by the name of Vernon Wirtzma. I hadn't met Vernon before, but I had been told by some of our elders that Vernon had lived a, a full life. He had lived a life where he was tangentially attached to some aspects of the church, but more often than not, Vernon wasn't the one in the pews on a Sunday morning, but he was still a part of that body. 
And he was willing for this young pastor to come and and offer him communion. The first thing that I'll never forget was shaking Vernon's hand, and his hand was literally twice the size of mine, thick and calloused from working on the farm and working with his hands his whole life long. He was in his late 80s, and he was in the final days of his life, and, and Vernon knew it. I was all prepared to say all the words perfectly that I needed to say to offer him the cup and the juice, but Vernon didn't have any time for that. He looked at me and he said, I just need the juice, I'll choke on the bread. There was fear within me in that moment, the fear of I wasn't sure if that was going to be okay. I wasn't sure if we could actually do that, but Vernon was pretty steadfast that if I gave him the bread that I had come with, he would literally choke on it. In that moment, the fear within Vernon was also revealed. I'd like to say to you that he was experiencing some sense of peace in his final days, that he had some sense of assurance and could face the reality of his own mortality with, with peace But there was very little peace within him. He was scared. He wasn't sure how this was all going to go down. But in the cup, he experienced what he couldn't provide for himself. In that space, the fear of the Lord was present. The hospitality of the Lord was extended. And we were able together to taste and see that the Lord is good, we were able to experience the fullness of a sacramental life and a sacramental world where, in fact, it is true that there is more to water than just taking a shower at night. There's more to bread than just the most basic of foods that we could imagine. There's more to the cup than just something that numbs our pain in the fullness of what we experience in a morning like this morning, God reveals himself in ways that we can understand in the mundane, in the ordinary, in what we take for granted. And there is no greater grace that could be given. There is no greater gift than we could receive. So today... If you're experiencing a little bit of fear, a little bit of trepidation, if you're not sure what coming to this table is all about, if you're not sure if if you're doing things the right way or if you're pretty sure that you're not doing things the way that you're supposed to be doing them, I understand that to be the reality of living a life a life that Jesus came and lived among us, a life that he looks at you and me and sees the fullness of who we have been created to be. The invitation that is extended to you is not to get everything right, but the invitation that is extended to you this morning in this juice, in this loaf, is to experience, literally to experience grace and mercy. After all, our faith is to be experienced, not just to be thought about, not to be rationalized, not to be understood. The mystery of this meal, the profundity of what we have been provided with, 
shows to us who God is and rightly reveals to us who we are. So as we come to this table, as awkward as it feels to take bread out of a little Ziploc bag and as awkward as it feels to have a little cup of juice provided for us, that awkwardness seems appropriate in some way. It seems right because we stumble our way through. Fits and spurts are the ways in which God's goodness and grace makes its way into our lives. And so at this place, we lift our voices proclaiming that it is holy and right that it is our joyful duty to give thanks to God at all times and in all places, for he is our creator, the almighty and everlasting God. Our God is the one who created heaven with all its hosts and the earth with all its plenty. Our God is the one who preserves us by his providence. Our God is the one who has shown us the fullness of his love by sending into the world his one and only Son, Jesus Christ, the eternal word made flesh for us and for our salvation. And so for the precious gift of this mighty Savior who has reconciled us to the Father, we bless and praise you, O God. And with your whole church on earth and with all the company of heaven, we worship and adore your glorious name. With the prophet of old, we proclaim, holy, 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 Lord God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. It is in this supper that we remember the perfect sacrifice offered once on the cross by our Lord Jesus Christ for the sin of the whole world. It's in the joy of his resurrection and in eager expectation of his coming again that we offer ourselves to live as holy, 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 and living sacrifices.